So welcome, everybody. Welcome, Replay Verse. We're going to talk today about the supernatural. Uh, I know that word is triggering for some people. We'll talk about that. Um, but the supernatural without the dogma. And this might be one of those uh, episodes that um, it, it's just going to be interesting to see what the response is, because uh, all the different types of people that have subscribed to the channel, that have watched on Facebook, and the various uh, views and beliefs out there. So I want to say at the very beginning, these views are mine <laughs> and mine alone. Not really mine alone. There's lots of people that share these views. But uh, you get what I'm saying. I'm not trying to uh, prove anything. I'm not trying to convince anybody. Uh, I'm just uh, looking for like-minded people that I can share my journey with and hopefully encourage and share some of the things that I've learned from all of the stuff that I've experienced and been exposed to, particularly since I deconstructed from religion and deconstructed from Christianity. I want to talk, I almost entitled this uh, something else about the occult, but <clears throat> I think I want to stay away from the term the occult. Let me know what you guys think in the comments about that. But for me, it's really one of those trigger words, even though that's a lot of what I'm talking about. Uh, the occult, I guess, by its very nature, by its very definition, is shrouded in mystery and therefore shrouded in misunderstanding. And I know that if I put out there in a public forum, like I did last week, the word occult, that the way that I'm using that term and the way most people are understanding that term are completely different. And I would argue that the way I'm using the term is the more correct way to use the term because it's not something that I just made up. It comes from really spending the last seven years, if I'm honest, not the last seven years, dabbling in all kinds of various different things. Oh, see another trigger word. Use the occult and dabbling at the same, at the same time. You're definitely messing with demons. You're just definitely messing with Satanism or the dark arts. And that really has nothing to do with the term the occult. So for the sake of those of you that are continuing to follow and want to learn more about this, what I'm going to call the third way after deconstruction, that would have been a great title, wouldn't it? The third way after deconstruction from Christianity, because that's the direction that I'm moving um, more and more every day that becomes settled in my heart, that that's who I am, that that's what fits me best, and that that's the direction that I want to go. It's what inspires me is exploring these realms of the hidden, these realms of the unseen, these realms of the supernatural, and how to help people connect with that part of human experience and consistently have results with that part of human experience. By the way, somebody last week commented on my YouTube channel uh, when I was talking about uh, science being observable, uh, observable, measurable, and repeatable, <clears throat> they challenged the uh, repeatability of science and cited a study that was published in Nature magazine. I had no idea that uh, scientists are basically saying that science itself is not repeatable. So I found that pretty funny. Um, and then so I researched that a little bit more. They don't even use the term repeatable, it, it appears. They use the term um, reproducible and replicable, but uh, I think it was something like 70%, there's like a 70% some failure in trying to replicate results in scientific experience, uh, experiments in the life sciences. And I 
I guess this is why every few years they don't tell us that, you know, certain vitamins are good for us, and then they say, no, you don't need too much of that. Or they come out every few years. How about this one? They come out and say, uh, if you eat too much eggs and bacon, it raises your cholesterol. <clears throat> and then they come back and they say, no, actually, eggs and bacon raises your good cholesterol, which helps fight the bad cholesterol. Then they come back and say, no, it's not good. There's all this back and forth. So I guess it shouldn't be shocking that science itself really isn't repeatable. So that really uh, was eye-opening. So if you have a chance, you might want to go check out that article. I don't want to take time to... Uh, really go into it in this episode. I might go into it at a later point because one of the biggest knocks on those of us that want to um, talk about our spiritual experiences, our supernatural experiences, or want to look at the supernatural and study the supernatural. And again, I have a word for people and I'll come back and define that as well. I mean, it's like, but pick your trigger word, supernatural, which is going to trigger all the uh, philosophically scientific people that have embraced fully assumptions and presuppositions of scientific materialism. Or I can use the term occult, which basically is misunderstood in our cult, which definitely is going to trigger all the Christians or people who are still deconstructing because they're going to automatically assume, oh, my God, that's cynicism, that's that's aligned with. Um, the deep state, that's aligned, you know, with all this nonsense, and that's not what I'm talking about at all there. So bear with me, and I'll define some of these things, and hopefully that will help you as you share with people as well. But one of the things they say is, you know, if, if you share your supernatural experiences, if you share experiences where you were involved as a instrument in some way that healed someone of something simply by the power of your mind or by the laying on of hands or through the channeling of some unseen, undetected energy, then that's anecdotal. That's anecdotal. That can't be repeated over and over again in a scientific experience. And then they just dismiss it outright because they're doing the same thing. And I'm going to keep hammering this and I'm going to keep emphasizing this. They are making the same mistake. And it's hypocritical, honestly. It's, it's hypocritical because they're doing the exact same thing that Christians do. I realized uh, today that there are atheists that are more obsessed with God or at least as obsessed with God as Christians are, as the religious people that they don't like. They talk about God just as much as the Christians talk about God. They just talk about how God doesn't exist. They give they, they've got whole courses in apologetics on atheism, just like we had whole courses on apologetics within Christianity, and yet most people who get into this don't know what they don't know because they don't even know about scientific materialism as a philosophy and the assumptions that underline that or the presuppositions that underlie scientific materialism. So here's what I mean. A presupposition is something that you cannot prove. It's something that you hold in your mind, a truth, a belief, an assumption, that you have to hold in your mind to make a statement of truth or a sentence or what someone's saying make sense. <laughs> so just to give you some examples, if I were to say this did happen yesterday, I or this weekend I traveled to a town called Alamosa in the state of Colorado for my two sons to go to their track meet. Now, what you have to hold in mind is that the presuppositions that you have to hold in mind 
are that there is a place called Alamosa in Colorado. If you've been there, you have to hold that that's true. That I have two sons. If you didn't know that or you've never met them or seen them, you have to hold that to be true. That I know how to drive a car. You have to hold that to be true. Now, in this case, I'm simplifying this to try to help you understand. In this case, all those assumptions would be correct. But they're still assumptions. You haven't seen them. You haven't proven it. You haven't experienced it or been there yourself. You weren't at the track meet, right? So while I'm giving an accurate picture, there are certain assumptions that you have to make in order for you to make sense out of what I'm saying. And in this case, those assumptions would be accurate and true. And again, I'm trying to help simplify what I mean by this. But now when we get into philosophical systems, whether it's science, whether it's Christianity, whether it's the occult, whether it's what I'm talking about, there are certain philosophical assumptions that have to be held in place in order to make sense. Now, the problem is when we make an assumption based on an assumption that we cannot prove. So, for example, in the Bible, uh, if I were to tell you the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, a fool answers a matter before he hears it. There is. There's a proverb in the book of Proverbs. You can look it up. A fool answers a matter before he hears it. And I expect you to live by that. I expect you to accept that as wisdom. In other words, the meaning of the proverb is that we're too quick to answer life's questions and life's problems or get involved in other people's business before we have all the facts or before we have enough facts or enough information. In other words, it's a proverb that says a fool rushes to judgment. A fool answers a matter before he hears it. Now, you could accept that because you could say, you know, that sounds like pretty sound life advice. And I think I want to implement that into my life. And that's okay. But coming from the perspective of a Christian fundamentalist, you need to accept that because the presupposition is that the supreme being, the all supreme being, the creator, gave us a way to live that is the best way for us to live. That's an assumption. I assume the creator. I assume that he gave us a way to live. He communicated that in the Bible. That's an assumption. And everything I need to know about life is already in the Bible. Those are all assumptions. See, it's just like the track meet. You had to assume I know how to drive. You had to assume there's a town. You had to assume there's a track meet. When you get into the philosophical stuff, in religion, if I say you have to accept this because this is how God wants us to live, and I know it's how God wants us to live because it's in the Bible, that's all based on assumptions in the same way. The problem is that those assumptions are not as experience, are not as experientially available. They may or may not be true. Just like, did I go to a track meet this week or not? That may or may not be true. But I, but you could experience the town of Alamosa. Most of you probably experienced some kind of, have some kind of experiential reference to a track meet and stuff like that, right? So the problem is, is that I'm holding a set of assumptions, not that necessarily are correct or incorrect. They're just not as available.
experientially to everyone, right? So then I'm taking assumptions of things that I haven't really experienced, that I can't really verify, and upon those assumptions, I'm going with the Bible. And then when people come at me with hard problems, the problem of evil, why does God allow bad things to happen to anybody? Forget good people. You know, why is, why is there children dying and children starving and why is there racism and why are, you know, why are all these systemic evils and why is life so unfair and why is the universe so predisposed to want to kill us, right? And I'll try to answer those problems by coming back to my set of assumptions that there's a supreme being, that he's given us a perfect way to live, and he's told us how to live in the Bible, because I've already made up my mind that that's the nature of reality, and my mind is closed to any other possibilities. Now, the same mistake is being made by people who are in scientific materialism. I'm going to come back to this in a moment and tell you why this is important to talking about the supernatural. Because, remember I said I defined the term supernatural. For a scientific materialist, there is no supernatural. There is nothing but the natural. There is nothing but the natural order. So therefore, anything seemingly supernatural is really just nature acting in a way that we have not discovered yet. There is no supernatural because supernatural would imply something above or beyond that which is natural. Here's where the presupposition comes in. There is nothing else but the natural. There is, if it exists, but see, here's the problem. If it exists, but here's the problem. If it exists, it, it's part of what's there, so therefore it's natural. But here's the problem. The presupposition of scientific materialism is that all that exists, exists in the realm of time and space. That everything that's out there is some kind of something that can be measured, that exists, that can be seen and that can be measured, and that exists in time and space. Because if it doesn't exist in time and space, it cannot be measured. And if it cannot be measured, it cannot be observed with physical senses. It can't be observed like the town of Alamosa can be observed. It can't be experienced like a track meet can be observed because that's all happening in a particular time and space. And since our natural senses are given to us to navigate time and space, you see what I'm saying? Then when I'm saying supernatural, I'm talking about phenomenon that is non Local. Now, non-local is a term that just says it does, it's not happening in time and space. It's impacting and affecting time and space. We cannot experience it readily with our psyches as human beings if it's not affecting something in time and space. But so if someone comes with an experience to a scientific materialist that is paranormal, that's outside the norm, that can't be measured in time and space, they can't be somehow explained through a law of cause and effect that can be, watch this, repeated in an experiment or repeated by you every time you go to do it, then here's my set of assumptions. 
that's not solid or objective or a good ground to stand on, so I'm going to automatically dismiss it before I've even heard it fully. Or I'm going to minimize it as not really much of anything. And <clears throat> see, how do we say this? Uh, it's not really much of anything. Oh, and it's anecdotal because it's not repeatable. See, that was a slam on people with healing ministries. If you've got the gift of healing, then just go clear out, clean, clear out a hospital, right? Because it should be that repeatable if it's to be trusted and if it's to be believed. And this is why this article on nature, I would encourage everybody, I posted it, I'll post it again, and maybe I'll put it in the links for the YouTube followers. That's why I think this article on nature needs to be read and needs to be looked at because what's being acknowledged now within the scientific community is that there is a what they call a crisis in reproducibility. In other words, they've given up repeatability. Because here's the thing. A lot of scientists, after they publish their work, they cannot replicate the same results the second time they go and try the experiment. Or another scientist or group of researchers will take that experiment and they will structure it the same way. They'll follow the same exact structure in order to replicate it. And then when they test it, they test the hypothesis, they get a completely different set of results, which then makes, in some sense, each scientific experiment, even though it has controls, even though it's set up as a good research tool, it makes it, in some sense, anecdotal. At least if people are going to dismiss, say, supernatural experiences that you've had or supernatural experiences that I've had is, oh, that's just anecdotal. Well, science is recognizing that a lot of their research is just anecdotal, too. <laughs> and it's high. It's high. I mean, there are some sciences, I think, if I remember, and again, I'll, I'll send you to the article so you can fact check me. And I may be being a little hyperbolic, but I, I think it's as high as 70 percent of the of scientists couldn't replicate results from an experiment or research study that they had done. And in some sciences, only 10% of the experiments are reproducible in, in a way that gets the same results. So when you're talking about the deeper questions of life, the deeper issues, we're talking about complexities of life. It's not like your scientific experiments that you did in chemistry class in the, in the fifth or sixth grade. Like, it's not like, you know, you're going to dissect a frog and the organs are all going to be in the same place. Or it's not as simple as a recipe. You know, I remember doing the volcano experiments. Remember you take baking soda and you take vinegar and, it, you know, it does its thing. That's a recipe. That's not an experiment. Um, but when you get into these deeper levels of complexities, things are not repeatable. So what I'd like to suggest and ask from all my atheist friends and my friends that want to hold on to the assumptions of scientific materialism, then just like you understand the complexities within the life sciences, you understand the complexities within the cause cosmology, you understand the complexities to quantum experiments and quantum theories. Most of what we say about quantum mechanics is theory because at the quantum level, things act so mysteriously, so contrary to Newton's laws of physics that we just come up with theories. 
And so scientific materialists will accept the complexity of that and say, I don't know, but we'll eventually find out. So all I'm saying is, as I'm going on this journey and taking people on this journey of exploration into realms of consciousness and exploration into realms of the occult and exploration into realms of the supernatural, understand the complexities there. And there's mysteries there and there's questions there that we don't have all the answers to. Don't dismiss it in the same way you don't dismiss quantum physics. The only reason, the only reason a person could dismiss, I'm sorry, could not dismiss and hold on to quantum physics and can dismiss the realm of the mystical and the supernatural and the occult is because they've already made up their mind that scientific materialism is true. And they've already accepted, albeit they probably don't know it, all the assumptions that cannot be proven about scientific materialism. And they probably don't know, because I didn't until somebody pointed this out to me, that science is not as reproducible and repeatable as you think. And so, therefore, a lot of science is anecdotal. So if you're not dismissive towards a scientific experiment or a research or a scientific theory, then please don't be dismissive of other people's supernatural experiences as oh, that's just that's all baloney. Because here's the thing. If we try to study this stuff with observable, measurable and repeatable, we're using the wrong instruments right now to try to do that. And I'm going to show you how using the wrong approach has set us back. In a minute, I'm going to talk about something that I think has set the progress of human potential back hundreds of years. I think things could have gone completely differently for completely differently for us, and I think humanity could be in a completely different space, at least in the West. I don't know what that would look like. I can't look into that timeline. <laughs> but I think if scientific materialism hadn't continued to win the day, in the academies and in academic circles, th there was stuff being done. Just I'm going to talk about uh, research into consciousness and healing and supernatural that was being done in the 1700s that was capturing the world, capturing the world's attention, but was being approached from a scientific materialist model. And because that model was the wrong approach, all that research got dismissed and was not, those realms were not further explored or developed. And as I learn more and more about this particular topic that I'll introduce in a minute, I think, man, I think humanity really lost something here. Why am I belaboring this point? <clears throat> because I want to talk about supernatural phenomena and just like trying to get a Christian to see the negativity or the silliness or the foolishness of some of the things that are taught, some of the way things that we did and some of the ways that are followed in Christianity, it's hard to get them to see it because they've accepted subconsciously so many presuppositions that they can't even hardly hear what you're saying. In the same way, we live in a Western culture that is so materialist, that is so closed, such a closed universe that says nothing exists in a non-local reality. Nothing exists outside of time and space. Nothing exists that cannot be measured because they equate existence 
with particle wave something, something out there. Existence is something out there. I want to look at existence in order to talk about the supernatural, explain the supernatural, and I believe experience the supernatural. We have to be able to talk about existence in a different way. So when I'm saying existence, I'm not saying it exists in a observable, measurable way. I'm not saying it exists in time and space. But what I am affirming is that it exists as experiences. It exists as events or phenomena that happen in people's lives, experiences that people have that are real, that are probably outside of time and space. Because all experience exists in the mind. And so therefore, while the mechanics of an experience can be measured, can be repeated, now can't be repeated, we're doing away with that, can be measured, can be observed. The mechanics of what's actually experienced happens in a realm that you cannot see, in the realm of your mind. Nobody can see your thoughts. Nobody can measure your thoughts. And don't come back and say, yes, they can. They can see them on a brain scan. That's not true. That's not true. That's a full answering matter before they hear it. And I'll just leave it at that. You go figure out why it's not true. Go do your own research. It's not true that they can tell your, they can tell again what the taste of coffee is because certain neural circuits are firing in my brain when I taste coffee. It's simply not true. So it's funny that most of our, so the scientific materialist would say, how can you believe in this other stuff? Because most of our daily life happens in this physical world. I can say the same thing. That's absolutely not true. <laughs> Most of what happens in your life, and this is demonstra- demonstratively provable. Most of what happens in your life, in fact, all of what happens in your life, happens in a realm that can't be seen and can't be measured in the realm of consciousness. Your dreams, for one thing, one-third of your life that you spend sleeping. <laughs> right? That experience. So... Which, so while, while the scientific materialists will say, well, but the physical world is self-evident and objective. No, the subjective world. Why do some people get mad at certain behaviors and other people in relationships while it doesn't bother other people? There's, you see what I'm saying? Like we live in a subjective world. Just as much, more so I would say because of dreaming and sleeping. We live more so in a subjective world then we do an objective world. So therefore, the subjective world of consciousness is more self-evident. And philosophers have said this for years. Go study Rene Descartes. That's, that's kind of how Descartes arrived at his conclusion. I think, therefore, I am. I think, therefore, I am. So this, this the, these issues are complex, and they've been debated by centuries by really, really smart people. So I just wish, and I'm just asking for people to stop being so dismissive and arrogant in their approach to stuff and so certain about knowing the nature of reality. Does that make sense to you? All right. <laughs> so let's talk about the actual topic, supernatural without the dogma. So here's where I'm going to get into experiences. Oh, let me finish my thought. I need to close out my thought. I got carried away. When I'm talking about what exists, I'm using the term in a way that doesn't make sense to scientific materialism. So what I want to 
talk about then is experiences or phenomenon that cannot explain through the normal habits of life, through the normal, really base laws of physics, or it's outside the realm of everyday normal experience. So take, for example, telepathy. Telepathy is something that's been studied a lot in scientific uh, circles. Um, So telepathy is the ability to send messages back and forth without communication verbally or physically. So no, without a look or, you know, body language and without speaking or writing. It's just thought to thought. All of us probably have experienced some kind of uh, telepathic intuition at some time. You're thinking about somebody and you've been thinking about them all day. You haven't seen them in years. You run into them at the mall. Um, you just know intuitively that someone else is struggling something. And you reach out to them at the exact moment that they were Struggling with that, this would happen to me a lot as a pastor. I would know, I would catch people, man. I, <laughs> I would just be praying for people and I would get an intuition or a sense or a feeling about someone and I would reach out to them and through practice of this and through relating to people, I just got to where I could sense when somebody was going through something without having any way of knowing they were actually going through it. And there were times I could even identify what it was exactly that they were experiencing. I started practicing this in my counseling practice. I would have people come and I would try to intuit what the issues were. And then I would listen to them in counseling and I'd write down what I had intuited. And then I'd go into the counseling session and I'd listen to them and then I'd compare notes. Was I intuiting what the counseling session was going to be about? And there were a few times, and this was just experimentation and I don't advocate for this. I don't think this is ethical. But I did this uh, because I was testing this. I'm part of a scientific experiment, a personal one, without telling them. And I would uh, go into a session. I'd say, you came here because of this, and this happened, and this happened in your life. And they would just start crying and say, how do you know? So those are telepathic experiences that I've had, right? Those are real experiences that I've had, real experiences that could I repeat it 100% of the time? No. Was my track record maybe better than the life sciences? Yes. It just was. Um, I'm having fun with this. I really appreciate the person who pointed me in the direction of uh, the problem and crisis and reproducibility in science. Really helped me, really set me free from some stuff mentally so that I could, in an intellectually honest way, which I need to have, I need to be intellectually honest when I'm talking about stuff, I could dive deeper into this stuff that we're talking about today. So... So that would be, you know, non-local. That would be like, but that's not normal conversation. I don't sit there in front of somebody and try to intuit what they're thinking. I just have a normal conversation with them. So that's what I, but that kind of explains what I mean by supernatural. It's events that occur that are not as common and ordinary, and we really don't understand how that works or what makes that work, although 
if we would give the benefit of the doubt to ancient sages who studied consciousness, to ancient people who were very supernatural in their worldview, who were very mystical in their worldview, who were not locked into scientific materialism in any way, shape, or form, and realize that humanity has, study, has been studying this phenomena and studying these experiences for thousands of years, then maybe it is more rep, rep, repeatable, reproducible, or uh, then we think we just don't know that we, what, that we don't know because we don't know the information, the body of knowledge that humanity has predominantly lost through thousands of years of exploring in here more than exploring out there. And we just, because of the dogma of scientific materialism, we just dismiss all that as, ah, they were just uneducated. They didn't know what we know. Anyway, I, I digress. So let me start this out because I want to talk about the supernatural without the dogma. So here's what I'm saying. If we look at the supernatural as real, as existing, in the sense that it is phenomenon experiences that people have had, then we can do a comparative analysis with it. And we can draw our conclusions based on comparative analysis and maybe that's a better way and a better approach to try to understand this stuff than to try to prove to somebody how it works and that it's real in the scientific sense. Does that make sense? So this happened for me when in 2016 I had a vision. I had a encounter. I had what I would call an out-of-body experience where I visited a place in the realm of consciousness, the astral realm, the mind, however you want to understand it. It was a place. It had flowers and it had paths and it had children playing and it had trees and it had a sky, just like a dream, guys. I don't, don't want to get too mystical or weird about it, but it was like a dream while I was awake. And in that experience, it was revealed to me the futility of what I was doing in my dogmatic religious experience. In other words, the more I reflect on that, it'll be seven years this August 13th since it happened. The more that I reflect on that, the more I realize that that experience was there not to completely deconstruct me from the life that I'd had, although that certainly happened, but to free me from the dogmas that were binding me. In fact, I can go back as far as 2015, yeah, 2015, 2016 is when this started happening. Yeah, because that other experience. So in 2016, I was having a lot of supernatural experiences daily, and I realized that my supernatural experiences were attached to my dogma. They were married. They were intermingled. They were enmeshed together as one and the same that the experience and the dogma were intricately connected. And so that experience that I had in 2016, that was there. That was all about the dogmas because what I was seeing, and it was it was really crazy because at one point in the experience, uh, like I said, there's children off playing. And part of the what was coming was, can you recover that? childlikeness, that freedom, that spontaneity, that curiosity, the ability to play and explore and experience and have fun. Because I had spent the last 
uh, 10 years at least in ministry being completely emotionally disconnected from what I was doing, it, it, completely emotionally disconnected from my life in many ways. I mean, that doesn't mean I didn't experience emotions. I'm just saying I felt like I was a robot going through the motions and something inside me is saying something's missing. I know there's got to be more. And of course, the answer back there was, well, if something's missing, you just got to get hungry for God. You just got to get after God. And so we'd hit the prayer clause and we'd do longer prayer meetings and we'd go to more conferences and we'd get together more and we'd have more experiences and we'd have more far out experiences. And then when we'd have more far out experiences, it's like, oh, but we're hungry because there's more. And something inside me is like, yeah, there is more. There is more. And I don't feel satisfied. I don't feel whole. I don't feel good. I don't feel connected with what I'm doing. And so I have this experience and there's these children. It starts out there's these children that they're just playing and they're enjoying themselves and, and something starts to come alive. And it's like, I want to try to, and they're off to the left and then off to the right is this path. And I walk down this path and there's two trees. Now, anybody that was part of our ministry knows that I preached out of the book of Genesis, chapter one, two, and three, almost every Sunday, more than probably any other preacher on the planet. I preached from the book of Genesis and talked about the two trees in the garden. And you will also know, those of you that were part of the ministry can verify that I talked about it in a mythical, metaphorical way about judgment and life and who we are and shame and nakedness and all that stuff. I didn't talk about it in the original sin, this is historical way. In fact, I got to where I was making fun of that because I understood it was a myth. It was it was meant to speak to something deeper in our lives. So that was very meaningful to me. Those were very important symbols to me. And there's an angel of light standing next to one tree, and I automatically assume that is the tree of life. And then there's an angel, or then there's just this dark, shrouded, tree and there's an entity that looks like pan the god pan and so it's like oh yeah there's there's the light here and there's the evil there's the light here and there's i realize i'm not far enough out there's a light here and there's evil over here right and then i hear this this voice and it says to me two things it says it says first thing it said to me was shocking because this tree, which I assumed was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the one that we had Pan next to it, versus the tree of life, the one that had the, you know, Michael, the archangel or whatever next to it. These are all symbolic, guys. I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying the map is the territory. I'm saying this was the experience. And I'm saying my experience was real and my experience was valid. And yes, my experience was supernatural because not every time that I lay down to just deal with some kind of emotional pain or to meditate or to deal with trauma? Am I caught up into an experience that's as real as as talking to you right now or as real as a dream? See what I'm saying? So don't get confused when I say Michael the Archangel. Don't get triggered, those of you. Or don't, you know, on the, by the same token, those of you that are into that, oh, God, that was Michael the Archangel. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. I can't verify that. All I can say is I can tell you my experience. All right. Enough said about that. I really want to, I really want to hammer this because this is important. I know it sounds like I'm beating a dead horse here, but this is important to the third way. This is important to the third path that we do not confuse the map, the map with the territory. Because if we confuse the map with the territory, all we're going to do is create another dogma that's going to put people in bondage. And the topic of this talk is the supernatural without the dogma. <laughs> all right. So that's what I'm saying. Back to the experience. I hope, I hope you guys are following this and I hope this is helping you and I'm not just rambling about myself. So let me know in the comments. 
Um, oh, actually, as I was saying that, Donna says, uh, it's a blessing to be able to share in your teachings. Okay, great. Thank you, Donna. Um, but if I need to change tracks here or something, you guys give me some feedback. Let me know. Um, it's one of the things that's hard about doing this. Like I don't have a, a, an audience to gauge like, oh, they're going to sleep on me or yeah, they're really engaged in what I'm talking about. So I, I have these experiences and the first thing I hear, the first thing I hear inside of me, I hear a voice actually not inside of me. I mean, this is all happening inside of me or outside of me. I don't know. I don't want to locate it because it's non-local. It's outside of time and space. I hear a voice, much like, you know, I would imagine in the prophetic experiences depicted in the Bible, I hear a voice that says, uh, if you do not recognize the voice of your shadow, you will mistake the voice of the shadow for the voice of God. Now, I'm going to say that again. If you do not recognize the voice of your shadow, what's the shadow? The shadow is the dark parts of us, the parts of us that we want to ignore, the parts of us that we want to pretend don't exist, the parts of us that we don't want to show to the world. It's where our secrets lie. It's where our trauma lies. It's where our secret desires lie for life. Whether that secret desire is to, you know, become a greedy millionaire, not millionaire, billionaire, not necessarily greedy, but you have a secret insatiable desire for material things or uh, sexual desires that you haven't fully even been aware of maybe or the desire to hurt people or humiliate people, all that stuff that's not socially acceptable, especially as a Christian, all that stuff that we can't have, that gets shoved into the shadow. And here in this prophetic experience, I'm hearing this voice say, if you don't deal with your shadow, you will mistake the voice of your shadow for the voice of God. In other words, people who are not willing to honestly own up to their stuff and their business and they get involved in ministry and they get involved in, in some kind of prophetic ministry or teaching ministry, they will think they are being led by the Holy Spirit. They will have experiences. They will have encounters. They will think they've even heard the voice of God, but the voice of God is not, it's not the voice of God. It's the voice of their shadow, but they're so alienated from their shadow because they haven't integrated it. They're so other than their shadow because they've worked so hard not to be that person that has those desires or had those experiences that it, when it speaks to them, it speaks as though it is the voice of God. And that in this experience is what I heard. If you do not deal with and integrate your shadow, you will mistake the voice of your shadow for the voice of God. Now, I want you to understand something. I'm, this is 2016 when I'm having this experience. I'm still locked into the dogmas because the whole purpose of the experience was to set me free from the dogmas. And again, I don't think there's a preacher alive that preached more on, on Genesis 1 through 3 than I did. And so, if you think about this, when I'm seeing these images, I'm assuming the, the tree that's got the shadow on it and the tree that has the God pan by it is what I need to stay away from and avoid and not listen to. And the tree that has the light, that is the one that is the voice of God. And in the experience, it gets flipped. You'll see that in a minute. It gets flipped to where the work, the real work that I needed to do was around the tree that had the shadow that had the figure of Pan, and I needed to deal with 
the light because it's like what Jesus said. If the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? Because what I thought was my light was really my darkness, and what I thought was my darkness was really my light. I'm going to say that again. What I thought was my light was really my darkness, and what I thought was my darkness was really my light, and what I thought oftentimes was the voice of God speaking to me, it was the voice of my shadow. So I come out of that experience, and all of a sudden, um, and there's some really personal stuff in it. Um, let's see, do I feel? I want to share that. No, I'm going to be general about it. So I go through this timeline of my life, and I see all of a sudden that flashing before me, I'm standing. So, for example, I'm standing in my childhood yard, just vividly, standing in my childhood yard, in front of my childhood home. And there was it was a time when some really traumatic, tragic, tragic events had taken place. My family was really messed up and dysfunctional. And um, and then there's a, a figure standing next to me that looked like Mr. Smith from The Matrix. <laughs> so, again, to go back to what I'm saying, don't confuse the man with the territory. It wasn't the actor standing next <laughs> you know, speaking to me telepathically. It was an image and a symbol that had meaning. Glass, I remember sunglasses and all, and standing there, and I'm standing there as a child watching the, these events unfold, and I hear the guy next to me says, uh, you can't save them. Now, my parents had already died at this point in 2016 when I'm having this vision, but um, it was like, at that time period, it's like that was saying you can't save them. You can't help them. These problems aren't your problems. These issues aren't your issues. They're their issues, and you need to finally let them go and let them be their issues and not your issues. And then there were a couple other events like that, really heartbreaking stuff. And I remember one of the other messages that came through was um, the voice said to me, the definition of insanity is to expect permanence in a world without permanence. The definition of insanity is to expect permanence in a world without permanence. In other words, we cling to stuff. We either think our pain's going to last forever and we get stuck in it, or we want the good times to last forever, and so we do all this stuff to try to keep it going. And then in the next part of the experience, I'm caught, I'm taken into this room, and again, it's this. it seems from the Matrix now that I think about it. If you remember in, I think it's the second Matrix movie where uh, – the Keanu Reeves character go, goes in and there's all these television screens flashing with all these different events or anything that you can imagine that you may have seen in a movie where you've got all these little television screens. And I'm just in a room surrounded by television screens, <laughs> television screens. That's what they were. Television screens slip the tongue there. Freudian slip. Uh, really, that was a Freudian slip with all this stuff around all these TVs and all these voices and all these talking heads all talking at the same time over each other. And I can't make a single thing out. And I realized this is every message I ever heard in the Christian church. This is every message I ever preached. This is every book I ever read. This is every seminar I'd ever been to. This was every program that I'd ever run. And I began to realize that, you know, seven steps to answered prayer, how to have a godly marriage, improve your marriage by coming to this weekend retreat, how to be a good Christian, what it means to be a good Christian father, how to be uh, a, a, a friendship evangelist, um, how to walk in the spirit, how to manifest the fruit of the spirit, how to manifest the gifts of the spirit, how to prophesy, how to heal, how to, how to, how to, how to, how to, how um, to. 
how to grow your church, how to be a better leader. And they're all like talking heads and it's all coming at me like machine guns, right? And I'm sitting there in this experience and I'm saying, how in the world, how in holy hell is anyone supposed to be able to take all that information about how to be better and how to be good and how to be this and how to be that and somehow push it down inside so they suddenly become that person? Or how are they supposed to integrate all of that stuff? And I realized that my entire existence up to that point, my entire life, had been listening to voices outside of myself, listening to the dogmas, listening to the party lines, and trying to create a cut-out version of myself that would stand up to the test of, am I doing enough to get my prayers answered? Am I having enough faith? Am I walking in enough integrity? Am I being a good enough father? Am I being a good enough husband? Am I being a good enough neighbor? Am I being a good enough missionary? Am I doing enough to reach the world? Am I doing enough to reach people for Christ? It's insanity. It's an absolute recipe for insanity. It is a recipe for inauthenticity. And I realized at that moment that I have never been myself. 45 years old, I've never been allowed to be my authentic self since I was 18 years old. That my entire quest into this realm of dogma and into this realm of doctrine was an attempt to create a false cutout cardboard version of myself. And here's the painful part of it. I probably did a better job of it than most people. I probably did a better job of it than most people. I see, I see Vanessa's on here. Vanessa, I saw in her interview and it just, it just broke my heart. She was talking about, um, the way she got treated. I, it's public, so I think it's okay if I talk about it. Uh, the way she got treated after, you know, when, when she was going through her deconstruction and she said this, and this is the part that impacted me. She said, we never had a scandal. She said, like, I pastored my siblings. I, I, I pastored my family. I, 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 I loved people. We helped people. We gave to the poor. And I'm just sitting there. I'm like, yes, 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 yes. We did all those things. We did all those things. My entire family was involved in the church and the ministry. The people closest to me, you can ask my wife. Um, you can ask, uh, people, you know, that were close enough to me to know, was I the real thing? <laughs> and they'll tell you I was. Which means all I did, all I accomplished was creating a better cutout cardboard version and being more inauthentic. And so here's the point. Here's what I realized. This isn't how I plan on this going today. But here's what I realized. That emptiness that was inside of me, that feeling of being disconnected emotionally from my life, that was all there because I had no authentic self to express. Because my authentic self had got shoved down into the shadow realm. And what it get brought into the light was all the dogmas. So immediately after I have that experience, and this is like a 20-minute experience, and then the last thing I hear is, can you learn to love yourself? Can you learn to love yourself? And I came out of that experience, and I realized, wow, I really have to hate myself, my authentic self. I'm really afraid. I'm afraid of what's over there. I'm afraid of what's in there. I'm afraid of the human being that's in here. I'm afraid of the social consequences. I'm afraid of the financial consequences. I'm afraid of the marital consequences. <clears throat> I start letting, I, I, I mean, I'm in real crisis and conflict, and I don't know who to be now. And I don't know how to become. And 
but I want to let this other self emerge. And as this other self is emerging, it's creating all this chaos. It's creating chaos in the church, chaos in my marriage and family, chaos in my relationships with my family, because I was no longer fitting into that cardboard version anymore. And so we decide to, Julie and I decide to leave for a sabbatical. We take our family and we go for three months to uh, Derek Day's old stomping grounds, Phoenix, Arizona. And I'd made a decision to look into all the stuff that I thought was dark. So I start going to metaphysical fairs. I met, so in that time I met a shaman who was the real thing. I met one of the top occult teachers in Europe. There's many published books. Sat down and had many conversations with him. Um, I met a energy healer that does past life work who claims to be a walk-in. If you don't know what that is, you can Google it. She definitely has some strange powers, man. <laughs> uh, again, experiences. So, and then Julie on the, at the same time, she, uh, what, she, she ex- experienced all this like stuff, supernatural type stuff. It just, and it's just happening, just synchronicities. Like we didn't go looking for the stuff. This stuff found us. Right. And what's, here's what's interesting. So during that three-month time period, I had more intense supernatural experiences, and by that I mean visions, out-of-body experiences, encounters with power, synchronicities, healing, wholeness, and freedom. In other words, I was finding myself, and I was getting free, and I was getting whole, right? And I wasn't feeling empty anymore. I wasn't having to try to manifest love and joy and patience and peace. It was just there. But here's what's interesting, and I'm I'm just putting this together seven years later. Like through all of this process, and it was a process, and it was a process of discovering my real self, doing the shadow work. But through all of that, I kind of, I got too far into scientific materialism, man. I got to, I just, I I started thinking like that. And that's why I'm hammering. I'm not, I'm not going after anybody in particular. I'm just just like, I got to get that stuff out of my head because that blocks me from being able to experience the supernatural. Now I'm going to share two more things and then I'll let you go because I'm really want to get to the supernatural without the dogma. In other words, the whole, and I'm not controlling this experience, guys. This is stuff that is happening to me. This is not stuff that I'm doing. I didn't lay down and decide, oh, let's figure out what's been wrong with Aaron for the last 20 years. You see what I'm saying? I just laid down and had this experience and it's like, here's what's been wrong with Aaron for the last 20 years. And then after that, synchronicities and and more experiences and, and and supernatural experiences and signs and wonders that are on a level of intensity that are greater than anything I experienced in the church. Like that was intensifying. Well, of course it was intensifying in the beginning because I was getting free from the dogma, which was was the dogma that was getting in the way of a lot of it. But because I couldn't understand what was happening to me, because I couldn't really find anyone that I could much talk to about that stuff. And because I guard these experiences and keep them close to my heart, and I don't usually share them publicly like this. I, I didn't know what to do. I, I didn't know who to be. And so I just kind of fell into a rut with it all, man. I fell into a rut with it all. It's like I discovered myself and then I lost myself. But, you know, we still had our church. We had to figure out what we were doing with that. We, I had a building that we owed debt on, four acres of land that we owed debt on. Um, and so I'm still trying to be responsible. And then of course, you know, the pandemic happens 
But that's, you know, years later. Anyway, it's besides the point. But one of the other things that happened that I want to talk about, <clears throat> I'm going to keep you a little bit longer today. I hope that's okay. Because I want to talk about three things to close this out. So when I went to, one of the things that I decided to do after this stuff started finding us was I'm going to look and see what else this community has that's going on that's spiritual. And there was a church, uh it was a Catholic church, surprisingly, uh not Roman Catholic. It was, um I don't know, like the libertarian Catholic Church of the USA or some sort of weird fringe element. And we go to their place and they're, they're hosting this guy who is a Muslim mystic who's going to impart to you the Christ power, a Muslim mystic there to impart to you the Christ power. And there was probably 50 people in that meeting. And he comes in and he just starts talking. He's dressed like Benny Hinn. He's dressed all in white. He comes in and he just starts talking and then he has invites people to come forward and he just tells them he's going to give them an impartation of the spirit. And he starts to lay hands on them. And guys, I was on the charismatic fringe. Those of you that weren't charismatic, you know, I feel sorry for you. Those of you that were charismatic, I feel sorry for you. But we had like all the Pentecostal stuff happening all the time. Like we had people breaking into spontaneous dances. We had people that would lie on the floor and shake and laugh. We had people that would fall under the power. Sometimes this would happen in the middle of preaching and the message would get interrupted. Oftentimes that would happen. We had people who were speaking in tongues. Uh, we had prophecies that were given. We had people having visions. We had people encountering angels and this would happen almost every service for seven years. So whether I was traveling or not, like, so I'm telling you, we were charismatic fringe. And, uh, all those experiences, I'm going to come back in future videos and talk about. So those of you that were charismatic or experienced any of that, it'll help you. Those of you that never experienced anything like that, please don't turn me off or shut me off because I can show you where all of these phenomena happen in all kinds of spiritual contexts. You can look at, uh, indigenous cultures where there's uh, spontaneous dance, there's people falling down and shaking, where there is deliverance from seemingly demons, where there are people who speak in other languages. The same thing happens and is recorded for us in ancient Greece. In fact, all of the philosophers of ancient Greece were considered to be mystics and to have mystical powers. The same things happen in a Hindu context. The same things happen in a Buddhist context that were happening in my charismatic context. And now I'm in this Islamic uh, mystical context, and I'm seeing the same kind of stuff happen. People are being healed. People are having experiences. People are shaken. And I thought to myself, I thought I could bring this guy in. Now, I'm a seasoned veteran at this stuff by this time. Like, And I'm like, this is like one of our meetings. I could bring this guy in, not tell anybody what his faith was or what he believed, and I could bring him in to do a week of meetings, and everybody would have thought we had a Holy Ghost revival. Everybody would have thought Jesus really came in and moved. And so I began to see that this is the type of stuff that was happening. Julie started going to these other conferences, these New Age conferences. That kind of stuff was happening. She just got back from a week-long Joe Dispenza conference, uh, his super intensive. And, and Joe Dispenza, if you know anything about Joe Dispenza, he backs everything up with research and with science. And she said, Aaron, she said, you'd be right at home here. She said, because it, I'm seeing the exact same kinds of manifestations, maybe not the speaking in tongues. I don't know. I haven't talked to her, but the, with the people shaking and the people shouting and the people being delivered from seemingly demonic 
stuff and people having experiences that transcend time and space, and then ultimately miracles happening, people on walkers getting rid of walkers. Uh, she got some physical healing while she was there. It's like, it, and he's only using science. He's not using any dogma. But it's the same types of supernatural experiences that we experienced in the context of where we were at. So what I'm inviting us into is to let's stop being so dogmatic and let's stop being so materialistic. Let's stop having to have explanations for all this stuff. Let's allow ourselves to have the same mystery towards these paranormal experiences as we have towards quantum physics or any other realm of science that hasn't been completely figured out yet. And let's theorize together because if we're not theorizing, then we're going back into dogma. If we start saying, well, that was the archangel and that was that was an evil entity pan and that was Mr. Smith standing next to you and this was God and this was that. If, if we if we confuse the map with the territory and here's what I mean by the map, the experience of the experience, if we 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 can validate these experiences, because here's my point. Here's my point. Is it reproducible? Yes. Is it dependent on particular teaching? Absolutely not. Because we were teaching the Bible and we were teaching people about Jesus and we were teaching people about the Holy Ghost and we're getting a certain set of manifestations. And anyone that tries to say it was just suggestibility or hypnosis, you're full of shit and you don't know what you're talking about. And I can say that because I've studied hypnosis for the last 12 years. I probably know more about hypnosis than a lot of people have forgotten. All right. And we started having these experiences with a group of young people who'd never been exposed to Pentecostalism or never been exposed to the vineyard movement or never been exposed to the prophetic movement. These things just started happening. People would come in with people lay hands on them. They would just pass out. They would just fall out. Now, Joe Dispenza was smart. He just had people lay down and people lay hands on them and pray for him. I don't know why we did that. I guess it's because we like the, the manifestation of, you know, people losing their their grip on the physical time and space. And, uh, that, which is really all that really was. And, and a lot of courtesy drops too. Um, if you're Pentecostal, you know what I mean by that. But you, you, you understand what I'm saying? Like, so there's a certain set of phenomenon, dreams, visions, encounters with other beings that are benevolent, encounters with energies that feel like and very much are experienced like divine love and divine power that are other than, that are otherworldly, that come from without and within so that you become a channel of something and then something happens. Uh, speaking of channeling, you know, people that would prophesy in the Word of Faith movement and they would speak and speak as though they were speaking with for God. Same type of phenomenon, people who say they're channeling uh, alien species that are more advanced and they're speaking through them. So channeling phenomenon, uh, dreams and visions, prophetic phenomenon, precognitions, having knowledge about people and situations in their life that you couldn't know that just came into your mind in these types of settings. Shaking, what we used to call holy laughter. Falling out under the power, feeling electrical currents flowing through your body as you're healing someone or as you're being healed, speaking with other tongues. These are phenomena that are consistent throughout cultures, regardless of time periods and regardless of dogmas. In other words, regardless of the teachings. Now, what's interesting, I want to get to this third thing. I have been, and I'm going to do a whole video on this. No, I should probably come back and just do a whole video on it. What do you think? Let's see. I still got people watching. I still got people on. So this guy by the name of Franz Mesmer, 
Franz Mesmer, um, who was European back in the mid 1700s. And he was doing a set of experiments on what he believed to be astral liquid. So he was very much into the study of astrology. And he postulated that the reason the stars affected human behavior and the moon affected human behavior so much was because that the universe was emitting what he called a liquid that he called magnetism. So mesmer, it's where we get the term mesmerize. So again, like I said, I've studied hypnosis a little bit. Because when somebody's mesmerized, they say, modern day hypnotists try to say that mesmer was the father of hypnotism, but I would argue against that. Because what hypnotists do today is nothing like what he was doing. And the theories and the teaching and everything behind modern day hypnotism has nothing to do with that. But anyway, I digress. I'm just trying to let you guys know I've done my homework here. So Mesmer believed that there was this astral liquid, astral fluid, that science would eventually find, that science would eventually be able to observe and measure. But he was more interested in studying the effects and how to manipulate this astral fluid, which he called magnetism. Now, when I'm using the term magnetism as it relates to Mesmer, it has nothing to do with you being a thirst trap or a hot babe or attracting people to yourself or being magnetic in that sense. Not at all. That was just the word that he used, just like the word gay today doesn't mean what it meant a 100 years ago. The word magnetism today, when we think about it, doesn't mean what Franz Mesmer was talking about 200, 300 years ago. All right. It's just what he called this astral fluid. And he believed that he was able to manipulate this fluid. So he did not begin with suggestion. He did not begin by putting someone in a trance and putting someone to sleep. He didn't begin that way. There, you, you can, his, his research is still available. He began with the laying on of hands and bringing into himself and bringing into the person, in other words, bringing his attention to what this astral fluid was and bringing it into the person's body. And what would happen is they would have those types of Pentecostal experiences where they would fall out and pass out. And then he would work on them in that context. Anyway, as I'm reading his papers, he's describing almost a lot of the same types of experiences that we were experiencing, including including what we used to call deliverance. And he thinks it's all happening because of this fluid. And so he, he takes it. So here's what's happening. He was being brought all these hard cases, people that were on the verge of death, uh, people that only had a short time to live. Um, people who were in walkers or canes, people who had, you know, incurable diseases at that time. And he would lay hands on them and he would work with this substance that he called magnetism. So they would get mesmerized as a result of the laying on of hands, not as the result of some hypnotic programming that they took them through. And these people were getting healed and these people were getting better so much so that he had a clinic and so much so that he had an audience with the top academies in, uh, I want to say France, Italy and Germany. And then it spread like wildfire into the United States and was really a precursor to what we call the occult in the United States. My point is, I'll do a whole video on Franz Mesmer if you guys are interested. My point is, is as I'm reading his research, he's talking about telepathic. He's talking about non-local knowledge. He's talking about healing. He's talking about 
deliverance complete with people speaking in other voices and knowing things that they couldn't possibly know, like that would be hallmarks of deliverance ministries. Um, so that stuff is all in there. And here's where I think that humanity could have benefited if scientific materialism hadn't taken off. Because there's two problems. There was two problems with me- three problems with Mesmer. The first problem was he was getting results that medicine still can't get today and certainly couldn't get 250, 300 years ago. He was getting results by the laying on of hands. The second problem with Mesmer. The second problem with Mesmer was he was an asshole. <laughs> He was arrogant because he was getting more results. So he was turning the people off because, hey, I'm better than you, and you guys need to listen to me. And then the biggest problem with Mesmer was he was trying to base, although he was studying the effects, his base theory was based on philosophical scientific materialism, that everything can be measured, everything can be observed. And so what he postulated and what he theorized, not any different than like string theory today. It's my understanding nobody's seen the strings. It's just a theory that's out there that this is what causes these effects in the quantum realm. He's looking at these what I would call occult effects of healing and telepathy and all these incredible things that people have experienced for as long as humanity has been and continue to experience today and will continue to experience in the future. He's studying these effects, but he's boxed himself into scientific materialism. So his theory was that it was an astral fluid. And that's where the academies picked him apart. And that's when the academies started to suggest that Mesmer was operating out of the power of suggestion. So the power of suggestion gets attributed to Mesmer, making him thus the father of hypnosis, because that was the academy's explanation for what was happening. Now, here's my question. If he's getting better results and people are being well and people are getting healed, even if he is a jerk and even if it is just the power of suggestion, then shouldn't we have had intensive studies done on the power of suggestion and the healing power of suggestion? But for at least 300 years, we haven't, we can't have those conversations because the academies are dominated and society's mentalities are dominated by scientific materialism. And we want to take these experiences that people have, even though they're ubiquitous to, to spirituality, and we want to dismiss them as anecdotal. And we want to, we want to put them off in the corner and we want to create this. We want to treat the humanities, uh, or the, the, the as, as the ugly stepchild. In, in academic circles, and I'm speaking because I, I work in an academic setting, so I'm not an academic, but I work in one. I work with them. And so that stuff just got set, pushed by the wayside. Same things happened to the breakthroughs in the, the Carl Jung. Carl Jung was a brilliant man. Carl Jung was ahead of his time. Carl Jung, I believe it was in his book, uh, Man's, uh, The Undiscovered Self, I think it was in the book, The Undiscovered Self. He, he more or less predicted the events that would transpire in the world in the 30s. He predicted the events that were about to transpire in the world in the 40s, not through some kind of prophetic thing, but just through his understanding of consciousness and how it works. And yet you can't go to a school today. You can't you can't find a university today, to my knowledge, that uh, teaches real depth psychology, that teaches real like, because again, 
and and even people that try to understand Jung or think they understand Jung try to force Jung into uh, try to force his theories into scientific materialism, which he himself didn't embrace. He he had a metaphysics that that consciousness. He had a metaphysics that that was consciousness and mind out of which things came. And so I hope this was helpful. I, I need to bring this into a closure, but I just wanted to talk about this. Like this has been my experience. It's like early on, okay, I'm in this context with this person that's not a Christian, and I'm seeing the same type of phenomenon that I thought we in the church had cornered the market on. And then um, <clears throat> I'm working with uh, shamans, and I'm working with uh, other kinds of energy healers, and I'm experiencing greater levels of healing. I'm experiencing greater levels of freedom and seeing supernatural phenomenon flowing and operating there, but it has a different terminology and a different set of teachings around it. And then I start studying people like Jeffrey Kripal from uh, Rice University, who uh, is the chair of the humanities department there, who is talking about things like the future supernatural human. And he does a historical survey in several of his books. He does a historical survey and a geographic survey. In other words, looking at the East and the West and throughout history and says these types of phenomenon are ubiquitous throughout history. And it's the same types of supernatural experiences that we had in the church. And then I'm reading and studying uh, Franz Mesmer's stuff. And even though his theories were wrong, it was the same kind of phenomena and then julie goes to a joe dispenza event and she comes back from the joe dispenza event and starts describing some of the same type of phenomena and joe talks about those in some of his videos so um anyway that's so i'm like okay this is what i want to dive into this is the realm i want to dive into i want to be free from the dogma but i want to get back to fully embracing the reality of the supernatural and teaching others what to do with their experiences, how to manage their experiences. And I want to get back to doing healing services, frankly. I mean, it's messy because, again, you know, it, but it, but it's only messy with the dogmas. Like if we just do laying on of hands and we're just laying on hands and we're just we're just transferring, whether it's astral light, whether we call it astral light or we call it magnetism or we call it divine power or we call it chi or we call it uh, Reiki, whatever. But like, I think you can, you could set up a setting where you can practice the art of healing by the laying on of hands and doing the things that we were doing. And you can separate the dogma from it if it's possible to do that. Cause it was the dogma that got people messed up. It's always God's will to heal. If you don't get healed, you didn't have enough faith. If you didn't get healed, it's because God chose not to heal you. I'm I'm exploring and wondering, and I'm open to suggestions and ideas, but I'm wondering, is there a way to create an environment where you can have, because we got a lot of results. I mean, we always talk about the person who didn't get healed. Well, I mean, on the one side, the, the, the healing evangelist always talks about the people who do get healed and never talks about the ones that don't. And the ones that don't are usually the really hard cases. And the compassion's not out there to the hard cases. And that used to really trouble me. That used to really bother me. And But there was something inside me that kept me going. Even though it bothered me back then, it was like, but what about the ones that do get healed? Because a skeptic will focus on the one who doesn't get healed. They'll focus on the hard cases. They'll focus on the fact that you can't go clean out hospitals. You see what I'm saying? Because I'm just skeptical of it all. And I'm pissed off, frankly, I guess. I don't know what motivates that kind of stuff. 
You, you know what I mean? But, but man, think about this. If we hadn't done those healing services, there were people, potentially, probably, that would never have gotten their healing. So what about the people that don't get healed because you're not having a healing service? We want to talk about the people who don't get healed in the healing service. What about the people who got healed who wouldn't have been healed if you didn't have the healing service? And so I'm wondering, how do I get back to that? And I do want to get back to doing some kind of meetings with people. Like, And I don't know if there's enough support out there locally. It doesn't appear that there is enough support for me in Pueblo, Colorado, where I live, that I could do anything <laughs> at all locally and have more than four people show up. And not that it's not worth it for four people, but um, because we sold our building, we I guess, you know, I'm just, I don't know, you want to host it in your home? If there's somebody out there in Pueblo and you want to have a meeting, you want to host it in your home, and we expect maybe 10, 12 people to show up, I would love to start doing something like that again. I'm not going to market myself here. I'm not going to put because I'm, I'm damaged goods here in Pueblo, and we are exploring the possibility of moving. And so I'm putting probably too much information out there, the more than what I need to. But I would like to get back to doing something on a corporate public level because there's an element and degree of healing that comes in a group. That's why we do group therapy. That's why AA works. So, so, so why can't, why do we have to have the mission that I was given when I started our church was to create a healing community. It was all we talked about. Healing community and a healing community that would bring healing spirit, soul, and on the physical level to people. And we focused on that intensely and we had a lot of results, man. We had a lot of success, but it was attached to Christian dogma. Jesus is the healer. Jesus, 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 right? But why I'm just sitting here growing in real time as we say on Freeology Friday, why can't we create a healing community without the dogma. A community built on acceptance, a community built on authenticity, a community built on flexibility, which means there is no room for certainty. I'm going to say that again. A community built on flexibility where there is no room for certainty. There's not room for dogmatic certainty in regards to religion and spiritual experiences. Confusing, again, like I said, the map with the territory. And there is not dogmatic certainty on the other side of these phenomena don't exist or they can be easily explained as psychological phenomena or the power of suggestion or trauma or whatever. And come together to offer something to the world. And also... to train people how to get into this stuff and then let them have their own sort of experiences. Like I said, I'm growing in real time and coming back to and saying, maybe the mission all along was a healing community. I would really like to be able to find that community, but because of the Internet, like I, I knew how to do it or know how to do it in a town. I know how to go into a city where people can meet regularly, but, you know, I don't know, Zoom meetings, Patreon, um, conferences, I, CJ, uh, let's see, somebody here, who was it? Uh, comments moved. Anyway, somebody here suggested doing like a conference in Denver, a healing conference in Denver, 
that would be cool. Maybe doing something like that. Um, uh, CJ, uh, I'm not what's sure what CJ's saying here, but um, CJ says, please understand, I'm all for this, but it's going to remain a mess if we can't learn how to love well, stop protecting abusers, become emotionally intelligent, etc. 100% agree, and that's part of the struggle. Vanessa Brooks and I have talked about that, like how how do we put something like that together, <clears throat> where and keep the um, the uh, destructive elements that we're in there out of it. And I think part of the answer is uh, to try to experience uh, the supernatural without the dogma. Oh, it's Mariana Martinez who said, hold the deconstruction conference. Ooh, deconstruction from a religion conference in Denver. That's kind of a good idea. Um, I just I wanted to see what CJ was saying here also. Oh, yeah, the hard cases and the lack of compassion. Yes, for sure. Don't get me started. I think hard cases will need good doses of compassion before they will even enter a healing service. No judgment, just love. I completely agree with that. Um, thank you for sharing that, CJ, because um, that, that's one of the things that's, that's held me back um, is, is dealing with that. Uh, Tammy's local, she's saying, we'd come or come to our home. Tammy, maybe we should talk about that because uh, it would be very difficult for us to host it. Plus, we live in Guam. We live a a ways away from everybody. Um, But, yeah, maybe we could do something like that. It might be cool. Uh, We could talk about that. So, anyway, I'm going to let everybody go. Um, Thank you for commenting. Thank you for watching this. Uh, Please comment more on the page. If you haven't subscribed to my YouTube channel, subscribe. And if you want to support our work, um, please consider giving a monthly donation. Uh, I included the uh, uh, link to – our PayPal account, you know, I would, I would do services just for people that want to harp on, you know, evangelists or whatever, that they're all for the money and blah, blah, blah. And most of them are probably 99% of them are, but <clears throat> my wife will tell you <clears throat> people that come on, comment on here that were with us, uh, Jeanette, um, Don Tripp was been with us for a really long time. Uh, Jeanette P- Pacheco Peasley, uh, Roger Brown. Um, they would tell you that I go through whole services and forget to take the offering. And they'd have to remind me, Aaron, you forgot to take the offering. Like, oh, wait, 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 wait. So, um, but it, it does, it does take money to do this kind of stuff. And I have to hire people to do what I can do. I'm not good with technology. I'm not good with marketing. I'm not good with administrative type stuff. And so we're going to have to be able to hire people to do that. And so I realize in order for things to expand, we're going to have to be able to pay people to do, uh, stuff that I don't have the expertise to do. So those donations will speed up that process. But as you might imagine, it takes a lot of money to be put yourself on the line and say, okay, we're going to pay you X amount of dollars and have integrity with that. So um, we're still kind of raising capital, if you will. For that, we're a nonprofit organization, so it's not an investment in any way, shape, or form. Um, Roger Brown just commented true with a crying face <laughs> about me forgetting to take the offerings up. Uh, so anyway, um, it, so uh, it's not capital. I shouldn't have said that. Um, I, that was the wrong word to use. We So I wish I could edit that out, but this is live. Uh, we need to raise enough funds that we can pay some professionals to put together some stuff for us and even maybe just teach us how to do some of this stuff. And so that's where we're kind of building up uh, funds uh, and cash in order to be able to do that. And people have given, whether you've given a dollar, whether you've given a $1,000, or uh, some people, I think, 
have given even more than that recently. Uh, I appreciate you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you so much. Um, thank you for helping us do this. And I look forward to, I'm, I'm getting clarity. I'm getting clarity. And these live videos are helping me get clarity on who I am and why I'm here in the direction that I want to go in the future. So thank you for joining. Thank you for watching. If you're watching by replay, thank you for watching by replay. Those of you that have stood by me and supported me through this entire process, I am eternally grateful to you. I love you from the bottom of my heart. Uh, those of you that allow me to get out of the box and don't try to keep me inside a box of agreement, mutual agreement, so that we're basing our relationship on mutual agreement. There are some people out here that I deeply love them, and I know they deeply love me, and we disagree on a lot of this stuff. But our relation that, that lets me know that our relationship is not like built on dogma, <laughs> built on agreement around beliefs and philosophies, but it's built on real something stronger and much more powerful than that. And so I appreciate those of you that are in my life that are like that. And uh, wherever you are, I hope that you're well. I hope that you're at peace. And if you're struggling with something, um, I want to encourage you to not give up because that through this whole process, there were some dark days for me. There were some days that I really wanted to just cash it all in, not in a suicidal way. I don't mean it like that. <clears throat> but just walk away from all this stuff and just go live a normal life and not worry or think about this or anybody else out there and just have my own selfish pursuits. I'm just not wired that way. Um, I wouldn't have been happy doing that either. So it's been a process. Work, I'm a work in progress. And so those of you that embrace that and have loved me and supported me and walked me through that, uh, again, I'm deeply thankful. But also, if you're in that place, if you're in that struggle, um, Things do tend to correct, and they do tend to get better if you don't lose hope. So anyway, with that, I will bid you adieu. God bless you. Namaste. Whatever your choice of salutations are, um, thanks again for watching.